Thanks for tuning in to MANA, a short daily meditation to feed hungry souls with God's Word. These episodes were prepared by ordained ministers for a radio broadcast called Voice of the Church and are now republished by the Reformed Perspective Foundation, a Canadian charity that applies biblical truth to the issues of our time. Here's today's serving. Hello, dear listeners. Here's a question that still keeps many minds busy today. This one. What is it that's wrong with the world? The answers are a mind-boggling collection of often serious and sometimes foolish stabs in the dark. Meanwhile, time moves on and the hopes for mankind that were broadcast a generation ago often are buried under mountains of disappointments. I only think of the euphoria surrounding the establishment of what at the time was called the League of Nations in 1920. It was the first international organization whose principal mission was to maintain world peace. It was supposed to prevent wars through collective security and disarmament. International disputes were to be settled through negotiation and arbitration and not through war. Countries participating were to be committed to just treatment of native inhabitants, deal effectively with human and drug trafficking, the arms trade, global health, prisoners of war, as well as the protection of minorities in Europe. Ultimately, that league proved incapable of preventing aggression by the Axis powers Germany and Japan in the 1930s and 40s. Germany withdrew from the League, as did Japan, Italy, Spain, and others. Things have not gone all that much better with the United Nations. This organization, set up to promote international cooperation, was a replacement for that ineffectual League of Nations, and it has now been in existence since October 1945. One of its primary aims was to prevent another conflict, such as the Second World War. At its founding, the UN had 51 member states, while there are now close to 200. In both instances, people dreamed of increasing prosperity, freedom from hunger, and of nations living peacefully with one another. And yet, These dreams have largely turned into nightmares. The United Nations has had some limited success in dealing with outbreaks of war, and its agencies have indeed helped to alleviate hunger and misery in the world. And yet, while I'm speaking, there are more than 20 violent conflicts going on in the world. One only has to think of the outbreaks of terrorism, the scourge of dictators, and the millions of displaced persons on the run to know there is a great deal wrong with the world. In the United States of America, there are more than 30,000 gun-related deaths every year. In many so-called democratic countries, the violence in schools and on the streets is utterly deplorable. And I haven't even mentioned the blight behind many a closed door as marriages and families break up, as poverty and loneliness, as well as rejection of races and of Christians and others is rampant. 
violence appears to be in vogue and is even welcomed in many homes, it appears, when you consider the graphic violent content of many movies and TV programs. What then is wrong with the world? Not that long ago, a learned Nobel Peace Prize winner was of the opinion that, yes, the consequences of violence are often bad for individuals, but they might yet be beneficial for members of the species as a whole. One example, said this learned person, is dispersion. If members of the same species fight with each other, it gives them incentive, he said, to avoid each other and, in consequence, migrate to areas where there are no enemies. One problem, however, he conceded, is that since humans have colonized the whole world, there are no more empty spaces to migrate to, so this instinct is no longer useful. There are others who chalk up the violence and the misery in the world to imbalances in the brain or the disparity between the rich and the poor. Another one says that the violence in our world erupts out of the pain and trauma we experience in our childhood and bury deep within us. We bury the pain itself along with our feeling responses to the pain, like fear, anger, hurts, confusion, sorrow, hopelessness, and more. And while these others may even put their fingers on what are surely contributing factors to the overall malaise of violence in the world, yet they too so often miss the mark. Is it not time, dear listeners, to listen to what the Lord Jesus Christ in his word has to say about what's wrong with the world? Christians know his word to be faithful and true. It is a word for all ages and all places. It's in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 7, we hear Jesus answering a charge of the Pharisees, who were leaders of the Jews in his day. Theirs was a legalistic charge based on their man-made laws, laws which insisted on a strict outward conformity, and yet laws which were not aimed at the hearts and the souls of people. Sadly, the Lord Jesus accused them, You have let go of the commandments of God and are holding to the traditions of men. That's Mark 7, verse 8. And then Jesus called to the crowd to listen to him. He said, Listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Nothing outside a man can make him unclean by going into him, Rather, it is what comes out of a man that makes him unclean. He then proceeded to list some of the evils that arise in a person's heart. Evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly, said Jesus. All these evils come from inside and make a person unclean. That means it is not the environment in which we live that causes us to be evil. Not that Jesus would discount what the Bible teaches elsewhere about bad company spoiling good morals. 
I'm thinking of 1 Corinthians 15:33. Occupy yourself with evil companions. Spend your time tuning into pornography, and there's a likelihood you end up having a ruined character yourself. Yet the evils that are promoted in our society are a direct product of people's hearts. Those hearts, says the prophet Jeremiah, are deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? The preacher who wrote Ecclesiastes 9 verse 3 said the same, The hearts of men are full of evil, and there is madness in their hearts while they live. I know that truth is not eagerly and quickly embraced by people. While billions are spent annually by committees appointed by government agencies and medical or psychiatric organizations, their conclusions will not put their finger on this state of mankind's heart and soul. Not while the current opinion is still that a person is born with a blank slate and that only gets messed up by the environment. Yet it is so. To be sure, there was once a time at the beginning of history when not only that environment but mankind placed in the world as a keeper and ambassador under God was pure and holy as well. But then sin entered the world, and mankind fell for the lies of that fiend Satan who tempted our first parents, Adam and Eve. The moment they fell, all kinds of horrors took over in their lives. All those evils that Jesus listed in Mark 7 arose in people's hearts, including your hearts and mine. Yet God did not put up with that spiritual terrorist attack on his goodness, his holy law. He promised not only to send one who would crush the serpent, he acted on that promise, and he did send that Son, Jesus Christ. He took our place as a substitute, for God had said that those who sin must die. Jesus died not only, but was raised and lives and sent his Holy Spirit, that mankind might have real hope and a genuine anchor for their souls, their lives. He poured out the Holy Spirit on his church. He gave them his word and a most reliable road map, a living one, that we might be rescued from all the lies and innuendo and weak excuses for our sins that are making the rounds today. That word is still proclaimed in faithful, God-honoring churches. People are still coming to repentance and sure hope in believing in Jesus Christ. Let us then not lament with never-ending, What is wrong with the world? cries of despair. Turn to the Lord who is able to change the most miserable situation into one of joy by changing your heart and mind, by filling us with what the Bible calls the oil of gladness, and then even using us with what the Bible calls that oil of gladness in one's family, 
one's community as lights in the world, that others too might live a thankful life of obedience to the Lord, thankful for the forgiveness of sin and for the strength and courage to live a Christian life in the expectation of the coming King. Amen, and may the Lord be with you.